of independent thought my name is desmond price no matter where you are in the world i want to thank you for giving me a few minutes of your day to hear my thoughts as always we have a great show for you today now here are our topics hello everyone welcome back to another episode of independent thought my name is desmond price if this is your first time listening to the podcast thank you for checking out this episode of independent thought If you are a returning listener, thank you for being subscribed or being a patron or just a person who checks in every single week. Thank you for giving me an hour of your week to listen to this topic. So boycotting Oreos. Are we really here to talk about cookies today? I mean, not quite. It was a catchy title. We'll dive into the the reasoning behind it here in a second. But first, I want to say that our sources for this episode include The Hill, more Perfect Union, go check them out. CBS, The New York Times, and Breaking Points. So let's talk about why we are here. Currently, there are strikes happening at Nabisco factories in Colorado, Illinois, Virginia, most notably in Oregon. And so our story begins in Oregon, because that is where coverage is taking place of factory workers for Nabisco who are on strike now after the latest negotiations that they had with their company, Nabisco. Nabisco came to their workforce, their unionized workforce back in May to negotiate a new round of contracts with the workers. Included in these new contract negotiations were pay cuts, for the workers and because of course not for the not for the executives never and then increased health care costs for new employees now this is all on the backs of the fact that additionally this year nabisco who is owned by a company called mondelez has shut down factories in new jersey and georgia and so now there are displaced workers throughout the country, unfortunately. And More Perfect Union, which again, go check these people out on YouTube. They do great work. Go check out what they do. Great independent media. They went to the factory outside of Portland, Oregon to speak with some of these workers about what exactly was going on, what their grievances were, why were they on strike essentially. Now, some of these workers had said that they were being asked to work sometimes 45, 60, and even 70 days in a row without a day off. Someone please tell me how that is legal. I need to understand how in our country it is legal to work 70 days in a row. I need to understand it. Someone please stop what you're doing. Research this come talk to me. I need to understand how that's legal. Now, on top of that, during these contract negotiations, Nabisco, again, owned by Mondelez, wanted to remove overtime pay from employees, move them to a seven-day work week with 12-hour days, also restructuring their pay, which on average would cut 40 thousand dollars a year from these workers pay and so at this point in time i'm asking myself a question like okay is nabisco hurting are they going through some financial troubles are people not eating enough cookies is that what's happening right now but you'd be surprised or maybe you wouldn't be surprised that's not what's happening right now in fact mondelez brought in $27 billion in revenue in 2020. And so this is not a company that is hurting for 
money, hurting for profits, hurting whatsoever, but still felt the need to come to their to their workers and ask them to work these ridiculous amounts of hours and to take less pay for it. And so I want to play a quick clip of some of these workers who are pro who are on strike outside of Nabisco's factories in Oregon. Let's hear what they had to say. I grew up with Nabisco products, Oreo, cream and crackers, Chippehoys. I knew they were made here. I knew they were made around the corner from where I live. To see those things go to another country where people are making less pay and the company is still making billions, it's disheartening. I've been here since uh, 1987, so I guess it'd be 34, 35 years. This company has actually squeezed everything out of it they could. They don't even want us to step onto the grass of the property, so they're putting a fence up right on the property line. They're basically kicking the employees to the curb. We want the community to support us. We want America to support us. We, we don't want you to buy Nabisco products, not during our strike. When we come back to work, we want you to support Nabisco products the only Nabisco products made in America. If you read the back of the label, it will say made in America or made in Mexico or made in Canada. And we want to keep our jobs in America. We want to keep middle class. And right now they're trying to destroy it all. And so I want to come back in a little bit here to what exactly these workers are asking from all of us and some of the issues that they addressed in that clip. But before I do that, I want to just quickly point out something that also stood out to me while I was spending some time researching for this episode. When I heard that Mondelez is sending some of their factories over into Mexico and that they're laying off workers here in America, the thing that came to my mind is I thought that we already had legislation in place that was supposed to be curbing this here in America. I mean, in fact, didn't our former president, Donald Trump, say that the 2017 tax cut was supposed to be incentivizing companies against sending jobs outside of America. In fact, on top of that, even in 2016, Donald Trump, while running for president the first time, said that he wouldn't even eat an Oreo ever again if Nabisco sent jobs to Mexico and then passed that legislation claiming that companies weren't going to do that. But is that how it played out? Well, according to the, an article from The Hill, the 2017 tax cut actually allowed companies to pay half or less of the corporate tax rate on profits earned abroad. And this also exempted them from tax entirely, you know, at a 10% return on tangible investments. Now, this is such as plants and equipment that are made overseas. So according to experts from the Tax Policy Center and from the Institute on Taxation and Economic Policy, they assessed that this law creates additional incentives and rewards for profits to be made overseas. In other words, it accelerated the offshoring of jobs and, off and operations. Now, this was backed up by the Congressional, by the Congressional Budget Office, who agreed noting that several provisions within the 2017 tax cut may increase corporations' incentives to locate tangible assets abroad. Ultimately, many multinational corporations will pay little to nothing in U.S. taxes on profits earned by shifting call centers and factories overseas. So there it is, right? Basically, in a nutshell, one of the staples of the 2017 tax cut was your jobs are going to stay in America, people. But that was not only not true, it was literally the exact opposite as that legislation was designed to have companies profit off of sending jobs out of our country. So again, one of the reasons that that is notable to point out in regards to this conversation is because workers are finding themselves more and more, or I guess the better way to say it is less and less in a position of bargaining power when it comes to giant corporations in America. So you're asking yourself pretty much the obvious question right now, right? Which is if Nabisco or Mondelez, however you want to look at it, is treating you like crap, why not just go work somewhere else? Why not just go to another factory? Why not just go to another 
uh, another form of employment. Well, let, let's say you decide to leave Nabisco, but all you know is factory works. Maybe you find yourself working at another place. Maybe you find yourself working at a place like Frito-Lay, who again is another giant company, factory-based company. They're owned by PepsiCo. They make great chips. People love Doritos. Now, recently, people who worked for Frito-Lay also went on strike. This was in Kansas, but this went on for about a month in July. And the people there who went on strike were saying that some of the reasons they were going on strike, and this is going to sound pretty familiar, was because they had to work sometimes months at a time without a single day off. Again, how is that legal? So workers at Frito-Lay said, yes, we had to work months at a time, no days off. On top of that, we had to work with, I believe what they called suicide shifts, where sometimes workers would be required to work shifts like 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. and then would have to come back to work at 3 a.m. and work another 12-hour shift. People, we need to figure out how exactly the labor laws in our country are designed in a way to where companies can require employees to do that. And there is no legal repercussions whatsoever because that is pure insanity to me. And now after those workers went on strike, they were offered a new contract by Frito-Lay. Now this was again, about like about a month ago now, but a lot of the workers didn't want to take the new contract and they were actually advised not to by their union, but they felt as though they had no other choice because they were running out of money. And while they were on strike, they no longer had any health insurance. And so they ended up taking this new contract, which, you know, resulted in a 4% pay increase over a two year period, which again, these workers at Frito-Lay also had not seen a pay increase over the last six to eight years. So peg that against inflation and you're actually making less money than you were when you first started there. But they're gonna see a 4% increase now over the next two years. Ooh, and they're gonna get at least one day off a week guaranteed. Look at that, one whole day off a week. And so on top of that, there have been other, there was other egregious things that I saw come out of Frito-Lay while that strike was being covered back in July. I, I almost thought about skipping over this clip because I was trying to keep this segment a little bit shorter, but there was a clip again that was done by More Perfect Union. People, go check these guys out. They're amazing. More Perfect Union ha has a clip here of a worker from Frito-Lay who got electrocuted on the job at Frito-Lay. And this worker talks about his experience, about what it was like for him trying to essentially navigate what to do next after that happened, because you would assume that if something like that happened to you on the job, your job would find a way to take care of you. Frito-Lay not only did that, but they more or less kicked him to the curb. But let me play this quick clip so that you can hear him talk about it for himself. Here's the clip. I had to call off the next day as a sick day. I told you I was in pain. I told you it hurts when I walk. And it was like, okay, you know, are you gonna be here tomorrow? I was a site lead and I know what that entails. You're a leadership of the whole warehouse. So if you have to fill in, you have to fill in. I asked for some type of relief period because I was still obligated to work like picking cases and unloading trucks or rotating product on a forklift. I asked for a chair that I could probably, that I could sit in that would make me more comfortable while I'm doing my office work. They denied it. You're either 100% or you can't work. It just felt like they was just trying to push me out. Eventually I got an MRI by my primary doctor and he showed that I had two herniated discs in my back. And he was like, you shouldn't be doing anything. They could only fix it with surgery. And my husband still had to work this whole entire time. They had to remove two of the discs in my neck because they were bulging into my spinal cord. I wasn't getting enough fluid to my brain. If I didn't have the surgery, the doctor said, 
any small fall or accident or something like that and I would have been paralyzed from the neck down or dead. I still have to have surgery on my lower lumbar spine. From the moment that he couldn't work anymore and needed short-term disability, Frito-Lay abandoned us. I had to file for short-term disability and then long-term disability. Got approved for long-term disability, but that was months later. So no income coming in. That's a picture of the car. We were driving. They require you to go to the doctor so many times, and the doctor has to say that you're in this condition over and over and over. But guess what? You don't have any insurance anymore through PepsiCo slash Frito-Lay because they cut you off. I had to pay for that out of pocket too. <laughs> Didn't have the money to do that. So guess what? I borrowed money or used credit cards or whatever I could. <laughs> I even took money out of my kids. <laughs> so I have to say, listening to that person's experience with Frito-Lay is absolutely infuriating to me. It is, in my mind, nothing short of evil that a company could see an employee get hurt on the job to that extent. And not only did they have no empathy whatsoever, they took away this man's health insurance while he was dealing with a health problem that he received from their company. So not only did they not provide the care themselves, they took away the, the little amount of care that he had through their insurance. Like that, that is insane to me. But again, I'm illustrating another point of workers right now finding themselves with less and less bargaining power in America against these large companies. And I know that we originally started off this conversation talking about Nabisco, Mondelez, but these subjects are connected. And I'm going to continue to try to like make this point here as this segment goes along, because it's not just happening at these two places. It's not just Nabisco and Frito-Lay who are squeezing employees, basically asking them to do ridiculous things. There's also another strike happening right now in America, and that's down in Alabama. So in Tuscaloosa County, there are coal miners who have been on strike since April. Now, these coal miners work for a company called Warrior Met Coal, which is owned by a company called BlackRock. And so these coal miners have been on strike this whole time since April. And the media has largely, and I mean largely, not paid attention to them whatsoever. In fact, it wasn't until three weeks ago when those coal miners gathered themselves up and went up to Manhattan to protest in front of BlackRock itself on Wall Street that they got their first piece of mainstream coverage after four months of protesting. And this isn't just some small demonstration. These workers down there, this is actually the largest pro, um, the, the largest strike in Alabama in the last 40 years. And, you know, we're talking about coal miners right now. I know some people might be rolling their eyes like, oh, these are coal miners. Who really cares? You know, what they do is bad for the environment. No, 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 no. These are working class people who are just doing their best to survive. And again, another, another instance of working class people being squeezed by giant multinational corporations. I mean, these people aren't even really asking for that much. I mean, coal miners are in mines on a day in a day out basis, you know, doing a very physically demanding job. They have to deal with potential health risks that come from being in a mine, including things like black lung, which please check that out. It's pretty horrific what can happen to people who are obviously in mines all the time. But these workers, what are they asking for? These Alabama coal miners, they're basically asking for the return of their vacation days that got taken away from them. They had their overtime taken away from them. They're asking for that back. And they're asking for the pay that they used to have, not for an increase, but the pay they used to have. Because when Warrior Met Coal bought out their previous owner and they came in and negotiated contracts with these workers, they decided to pay them a lot less money. 
And so now they're just fighting to get what they had in 2016. And so again, we have another instance of workers here in America who are just more or less trying to do whatever they can just to squeeze out a little bit of dignity. But you know, thankfully for these previous three entities that I'm referring to, these workers at Nabisco, Frito-Lay, and Warrior Met, they have unions behind them. But as I've mentioned in previous episodes, having a union behind you is not exactly normal in America anymore. As by you know, my previous episode that I did called Amazon Workers in Alabama. Now, I was referencing earlier this year that the workers down there in Bessemer, Alabama, you know, they were trying to unionize to have a little bit more help because of the conditions that they were dealing with down in the Amazon fulfillment centers, where I'm not going to get into it all over again because I did a whole episode on it, but please go check that out. But in a nutshell, workers down at this Alabama facility were more or less just saying that it was impossible to maintain the standards that Amazon was asking them to commit to on a day in a day out basis. Amazon, you know, calls it their, their rate, which is just how often you have to, you have to be on task while you work for them. One of the figures that I was able to research while doing that episode was that workers are asked to like pick and box 300 items per hour. And if they don't do that, then they can get written up for it. And after a certain amount of write-ups, you are, you are fired. And they mark everything against what they call rates. So even going to the bathroom counts against you. That's time that you're not picking stuff in their mind. And so what the reason why I bring this up, why I bring up Amazon, why I bring up Warrior Met Cole, why I bring up Frito-Lay. I know that we started off talking about Nabisco, but this is honestly a microcosm of what's happening across this country right now. Workers as a whole are being squeezed by these giant companies. And these giant companies are not hurting whatsoever. They're not hurting. They're not seeing dips in their revenue. They're not seeing dips in profit whatsoever. We are seeing as time goes on, and everyone's been talking about this on the political spectrum, about the levels of income inequality happening here in America. Multinational corporations are making record amounts of profit. Their stock prices are going through the roof. CEO pay is going through the roof. These companies are more valuable now, more profitable now than they've ever been. And yet they can't even give workers at these plants, at these factories, their working class people of this country, they have to beg just to get small levels of dignity, small levels of humanity, just to, in the case of Amazon, just to get bathroom breaks, in the case of Frito-Lay, to get one day off, in the case of these Amazon workers, just, I mean, I'm sorry, these, these coal miners in Alabama, just for them, just to get pay they used to have. Like, this is absolutely incredible to me. I mean, right now, there is a system in place that allows all of this to be legal, and that's an absolute travesty to me. So what can we do? What can we do as the average individual person who's listening to this right now, who's having this discussion? Like, just please share this information. Whether you're sharing this episode, or if you're looking up articles to about what's going on with these several different strikes around the country, or again, you know, check out More Perfect Union, share the videos that they put out all the time. They are doing great journalism. Please go check them out. I mean, we need more eyeballs, more ears on this content. Like the, what, what really needs to happen here is that the workers of this country need to know that everyone else has their back. Because right now, too many of these companies are basically able to operate this way because they have there's no repercussions coming their way whatsoever. Our government, which is supposed to be keeping companies like this in check, have basically just let these companies do whatever the hell they want to. And so call these people, your representatives, call them, ask them what the hell they're doing. They only work half the year anyway. They work half the year. 
And then they, you know, have the audacity to tell the rest of us that we need to get back to work and work harder and so on and so forth. Call these people, ask them what the hell they're doing, ask them why there isn't legislation to protect workers around this country and share this information, share it on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, share it everywhere because the more spotlight that we put on these companies and the BS that they're doing to their workers, the less likely it'll be that it'll continue to happen. So I feel as though we truly have the power in this situation. And like that, like that one worker said in the, in the Nabisco clip, for the time being, just stop buying Oreos. Stop buying Oreos. Stop buying all Nabisco products for the time being. It is a travesty what's happening with these Nabisco plants right now. And so let's all do a little bit to chip in to spot to put an extra spotlight on what's happening with these workers. I'll also have a GoFundMe link in the description of this episode for the workers who are on strike in Oregon right now. And so with all that being said, thank you so much for listening to this portion of the episode. We're going to take a quick break, but you'll be hearing some messages from my sponsors. And when we come back, there will be a conversation with my guest for this week, a brand new conversation. So make sure you stay tuned. We'll be right back. Betty's Divine is a locally owned boutique on the magnificent hip strip in downtown Missoula, Montana, that has been a fixture in the Mountain West since 2005. We have a fondness for vintage-inspired clothing, shoes, and accessories for humans, as well as the real deal found in our vintage department, Divine Trash. Betty's Divine presents a snapshot of Northwest styles with an emphasis on street, skate, surf, and rock and roll culture, as well as Americana classics. Alongside a radical selection of clothing, Betty's Divine offers a damn fine array of shoes, jewelry, records, and accessories to satisfy any taste, whatever your age or vibe. You can count on us to prioritize financial, social, and environmental responsibility without sacrificing the look. Visitors enjoy a lovely atmosphere, dreamy tunes, and the best customer service in the West. And you can shop us online at bettysdivine.com. Hey, Indie Thought listeners. Has this past year helped you rediscover your creative and crafty side? Well, then you're going to love our sponsor for today's episode, Bathing Beauties Beads is a full-service bead shop in the heart of downtown Missoula. Whether it's seed beads, semi-precious stones, vintage beads, or just materials to make a project, they have something for every person and every price range. Not from Missoula? Don't worry. They have an extensive online store and they will ship directly to you. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, they'll welcome you and help you make your next project a reality. You can find them online at Bathing Beauties Beads on Instagram and Facebook or at bathingbeautiesbeads.com. And don't forget to use offer code INDEPENDENTTHOUGHT at checkout to save 15% on your order. Welcome back from the break, everyone. Thank you for sticking with us to another episode of Independent Thought. For today's episode, I am being joined by Sarah Balstead, the host of the I Speak Dead People podcast. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? Oh, thanks for having me. This is awesome. This is great. I'm excited. I'm doing yeah. pretty well, despite you know the smoky environment we live in now, just permanently. And I just feel so weird. <laughs> I'm like, no wonder everybody in LA is just a bunch of, you know, they're so crabby all the time. It's like they live in smog constantly. It just sucks. Yeah. So. The air quality here in Missoula, Montana is um, less than desirable, to say the least. <laughs> I know. Yeah. It's like, I like, I've lived here 13 years or something. And I remember it used to be this like big extravagant thing. Like, oh my God, there's, there's fire this year. You know, there's smoke this year. And now it's like, oh no, this, this is just how we live. So it's like, oh my God, don't so get me started. Sucks. I will go on a long rant about, Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it's unfortunately the, the climate around here has definitely been changing. It's, it's a part of the unfortunate times that we're living in. And you're going to hear a lot of my thoughts on that in the upcoming weeks. But 
in regards to you and your podcast, you know, I speak dead people. What, you know, whenever I have a podcaster come on, it is tradition that I ask about, you know, your podcast first and foremost. And so I want to know why exactly did you start I Speak Dead People? And for those who have no idea what your podcast is, can you tell us a little bit what it's about? Yeah. Um, okay. So I feel like there's a real long answer I could give you <laughs> and I'll give you one, but I Speak Dead People is a podcast where guests, I have guests come on the show and we talk about the death of our loved ones, of our family members and all the crazy shit that happens to us in grief. And I started it after losing my dad um, eight years ago to leukemia. And, you know, in those eight years, I've discovered so much about myself and life and people that um, I just felt that it deserved more of a platform to talk about it because it's not something we're talking about. Um, I can almost, you know, bring it back to your podcast. Like a common theme here is there's these huge life events happening and it's not being covered and, you know, no one's talking about it or it needs more, you know, we need a way to talk about it, a safe place to talk about it. And instead of, you know, being told how to feel about it, um, with the information that we're fed on the news or the media. Um, This is like just a real life podcast of what you go through when you lose somebody. So, and I can come back to how that like relates to death, but um, so I think it all starts back from when I was a kid. So I grew up in a small Northeast Montana town and you know, without making it seem like it was the Wild West over there, I mean, there was a lot of tragedy that happened in the small town. Um, I knew a lot of people who died. There were car accidents, freak accidents, um, a lot of cancer. And although it was happening all around us, it was like, we weren't really talking about it. Like, it was like, God, that's terrible. And that's terribly tragic. And those poor people and these poor families. But when it came down to um, really being able to process what was happening, there wasn't that form of discussion happening. And, you know, I can kind of attest to just reading about trauma and learning about trauma in my adult life and just how that is, those are traumatic events and your brain needs to like put that into compartments and be able to figure out what to do with that. Because if you don't, I mean, you can it can like lead to a life of anxiety which is like what happened to me (laughs) but but then this hit a lot closer to home when i lost my dad to um leukemia like i said he was diagnosed with leukemia when i was 21 and and i mean from the time that he was diagnosed to the time that he died we had over a year and a half to talk about like end of life discussion and do you think he and I ever did we never did once until he died that that day when I was with him and it's like why was I shoving that into like this his last 10 minutes of his life when I could have just been doing that when he was alive and it's because it comes back to that whole like the rhetoric of death the you know society's take on it death is scary death is tragic death is final blah 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 it's you know, don't talk about it. It's awkward. It's weird, you know? And because of that, like, terrifying approach that we all take on death, it's like, my dad and I didn't get to talk about any of it. We didn't know how, you know? Right. And it's like, maybe if we just had more of a normal, like, idea, you know, just a normalized way to discuss this stuff, it's like, he and I could have had these conversations, but we live in a society that silences it really. Um, and maybe so like other families have better communication than mine did, but we just didn't. And then also it just, I say it created this complex for the re- rest of my twenties because when my dad died, I just like lost my shit, <laughs> you know, from like right. 23 to 30. Like I was just like, okay, this is going to be, my time to just be like 
try to figure this out, you know, and in doing so it's like messy. Like I did a lot of stupid shit. I moved all, all over the place. My poor friends, like the only time I could talk to them about it is when I had finished a bottle of wine and I'm like crying, you know, it's just like, no, I don't need to be talking about my dad dying after I've finished a bottle of wine. Can I just like talk about it on a hike with a friend? But I just like, I didn't know how. And I also felt so much shame about it. You know, all the things that I was doing, all these feelings that I was having about my dad dying. um, It's like, I felt, I was like so ashamed of myself. And it's like, you don't have to be ashamed of being crazy for a little while. You know, this stuff makes you crazy. And, and maybe if we just like put it out there a little bit more, it, it wouldn't like manifest into this craziness, you know? But so that's why I've like created this. It's just a safe place to talk about it. It normalizes all this stuff. So. Yeah. And it's something that when I first found it myself, I was very conflicted about listening because I, it was just like, wow, that's such a heavy topic. Like, you know, do I want to approach something, you know, that, that is about grief and about death and the trauma that can come with that. But it, it is a very important topic to cover. So I'm glad that you are doing that. You know, I, I think, you know, one of the, one of the things that we had talked about previously when we spoke about this, you said that, one of the themes of your episodes is finding commonalities, you know, through our struggles. And could you just tell me a little bit about like, why is that important for you? Or why do you think that should be important for all of us? Yeah, I think like a huge realization I had, like when I, you know, I talk about being so ashamed of myself and like carrying all this guilt and even sort of like resentment towards my dad and I's relationship, just like, why weren't we talking about it when we had the chance? Like it was right there, but it's like, it's like this situation, like losing my dad and death is not unique to me. You know, everybody's going to lose somebody one day. If it hasn't happened to you yet, it will, you know? And, and as terrifying as that sounds, we can't control these things in our lives. And um, so when I hear these people talk and, you know, I listen to their stories and what they go through, it just, it is, it's like, we all have to figure this shit out together. Like we, we do. And it also helps us understand each other a little bit more. You know, I think, I think that's something in this world where we're so connected, but we're so distant. Like we really are just so misunderstood because it's so superficial. Our relationships are so superficial anymore. And it's like, no, there's some, we're so connected on all this stuff. And it, it's things we don't have to wake up in the middle of the night about feeling, you know, freaked out about or having anxiety about. It's like, I bet you, if you're struggling about this, I bet you someone you know is struggling as well. And, you know, when you put it out there, it's like, it makes you feel a little less crazy when you put this stuff into words. Yeah, absolutely. I know that when I personally was dealing with losing a loved one, you know, a few years ago, I had no idea how to talk about it. I had no idea how to talk about it. I had no idea how to process it. And it is such a taboo in our culture. I mean, it feels like it's something that you don't talk about with your friends and you barely talk about with your loved ones. So it's, it's definitely something that does need a little more normalization in my mind, you know, but speaking of which, when you do find people who are willing to come on your show and talk to you about all of this, like how exactly does that process work? I mean, how do you find guests? Like, do you find guests or do your guests <laughs> find you? Tell me about this a little bit. Yeah. It's crazy. Like I bring up the small town that I uh, lived in, And I knew so many of those people, all these stories that in my head were just like these crazy tragedies that I had just lived with, but I had never talked to them one-on-one about it before. And so a lot of my early guests were people from my hometown. And so I would just reach out to them. And at first, like, can you imagine Hi, I'm starting a new podcast. I've never done this before, but I hope you want to come on and talk about this most tragic part of your life. Like, <laughs> you know, 
like like talk about me like pushing yeah. the send send button and I would just like throw my phone against the couch and just start like pacing around the house I'd be like I'm an idiot I'm an idiot and like <laughs> like and so uh, but it's funny because as much as you just do that to yourself like create this like oh god moment you know they respond and they're like yeah this sounds awesome like are you kidding me like because do you know like all these things that you go through in grief it is yeah. such a big thing it's one of the biggest things you could go through and and people do want to share their story. Some people, you know, some people are like, hell no, I would never do that. Like, right. don't ask me again, you know, but, but some people are so willing to share. And I think it also just, um, it, you see how many people care about it too. Like I thought, oh God, I hope, you know, a handful of people listen or something. And then you see the numbers and you see people listening and caring and messaging me or their fan, the families of the people that are on. And you just go, Oh my God, like, like this is what life's about. This is what connection and relationships is about. You know, yeah. people do care about each other. And, and then there's a lot of, you know, okay, I'm running out of people that I know have lost loved ones. Like now I'm just finding people on social media or something, but um it, it, yeah it's a crazy process because we'll just we'll message each other for a little while some people are like let's just message a couple times and let's just go let's get this over with some people need like a month but I ask a lot of the guests let's start off by you writing me a brief story like you say you want to do this you sit down and let's see if you can do it and yeah. a lot of people sit down and they'll message me back and be like I can't do, I am not ready, you know, right. and you know, when you're ready and you know, when you're not. Um, so it is, it's like this, it is, it's such a, such a crazy mind experiment really, but you know, it's, uh, but yeah. So it is, it's this funny process that we, I go through with the guests, but then after the fact, after we record an episode and I get to know these families and these people, it's like, for me, oh my God, like I can go through my Spotify playlist and like look back on the songs that I was listening to at that time. And I'll be like, that was an episode that I did with Todd. And that was an episode that I did with so-and-so and blah, blah, blah. And right. it's just like it for like a week or two, I'll just be like, oh my God, like I dream about these people. And I, you know, it's yeah. like, Spend holy a lot of time shit. With them. Like, <laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, and like you do, like the news is heavy. It's this, this is serious shit. You know, this is yeah. some heavy material. And so sometimes you do get a little exhausted, <laughs> you know? Yeah, <laughs> like, no, I, I could bet. And in, not only I'm sure that you're exhausted, but I'm sure that people that you're talking to also get exhausted. And I think yeah. one of the things you mentioned to me in the past was that some people didn't want to come on your podcast because they just didn't think that their stories are worth telling and that you had a struggle basically trying to like convince these pe some of these people that their stories are in fact valid. Like how, how did you kind of, I guess, like bridge that gap a little bit with some, with some people about convincing them that their stories were worth telling? Yeah, but that's what's so crazy in our culture too, is this, comparative culture that we have that's just like you know and I think part of my problem too in my 20s was just that I was like well I was an adult with my when my dad died I should just get over it like people yeah. have way worse stuff that happens to them and you know of course there's some losses that you could weigh a little bit differently than others but like if it means something to you then it means something so you have to figure out how to deal with it right. and you cannot brush it off just because someone else's death or someone else's tragedy seems worse than yours. And so when, yeah, when I would reach out to someone like a guest that I'm working with for the future, she's like, I, I didn't know him. Like I knew your dad and all this stuff. And I'm like, but that still has a profound, you know, it still affects you in a way right. that like you can't, brush this stuff off, <laughs> you know? And so, so it, it does, I think even just me coming forward and asking them to be on the show, it makes you realize like, oh, 
someone someone does care <laughs> like right. some someone remembers that about me you know like if someone yeah. were to ask me about my dad or something i'd be like you remember you know that my dad died you know like that would feel like i would probably feel excited because like his memory stayed alive to somebody else but me you know and it's like i don't know um it is it's I think that's a huge part of it is this comparative culture that we have in our society and we have to stop comparing because we will never embrace our personal stories if we just keep doing that to each other. It's a very toxic thing that we all do. I think we're all guilty of it. I know I'm guilty of it. I think I was guilty of it just, just, just yesterday. So it is, it is an on is it is an, it is an ongoing thing. I was trying to mix on ongoing and occurring. Ah, didn't work out too well. Uh, it is one one of the things that came to my mind when I was thinking about all of this was, you know, people do process grief differently. Some people, you know, laugh about things. Some people go into a more reclusive place. Uh, some people want to talk about it all the time. You know, I feel like everyone kind of deals with this a little bit differently. But when you're sitting in that chair, in the host chair, and someone is sharing their experiences with you, how do you respond to it? Do you kind of take a more hands-on approach when you're talking to people about their grief? Or do you kind of like sit back and kind of just let them process it, I guess, in a more like hands-off style? Like, like what, what is the preferred method? Yeah, I think, you know, uh, like, you probably imagine that some of these conversations are just like a lot of us just like crying and we're really not like, I think when someone's just prepared when they're mentally prepared and they know that they're going into this conversation to be in a space with someone who's like providing a, yeah, a safe place for them to do it. It creates such a more, it creates this environment where they're like owning the story, you know, and, I, and there's like nothing more powerful than owning your story. You know, yeah. you can do anything when you own your story. And it's like, uh, they, it's not some like sad, pathetic thing. Like, it's just like, yes, this is what happened to me during this really screwed up time of my life or really sad and tragic time of my life. And like, I kind of made it out of the storm and like, here I am, you know, and, and that's what's so crazy about grief is like you can kind of think back to life before these tragedies happened to you or before these losses happened to you and you like won't even remember who that person is you know and you're just right. like of course i wish my dad was alive but i don't even know who i would be if he was still you know like that and that's what that's like a roundabout way of answering your question but it's just it's like, yeah, when people are able to tell their story, it's so much different than what you would expect. And to a lot of it, you know, I do edit our episodes because a lot of it is just like sitting back and processing some of this stuff because you might be like mid-sentence with somebody or someone's telling their story and they're just like, God, I, I didn't even remember that. Or, you know, I didn't even remember that until now. And I think there's so much chaos in grief that right. you you do forget things. And so to be able to, like, sit down and really, like, relive this stuff, it it does something to you. I know I interviewed one of my, like, my best friend. Her dad died of cancer. And, um, and like, I just thought I was going to interview her and her and I are pretty goofy. And we just, you know, we were like laughing the whole time, really like, yeah, kind of in our sick little humor way, you know, whatever. But like the rest of that week, I had no idea what it would trigger within me. Like, cause I was reliving some, our stories were pretty similar watching our dads die of cancer. Yeah. And the, what I went through in that next week, I was just like, oh my God, like, this is insane, but I'm also glad that I'm going there right now because had I not, you know, I wouldn't be figuring out that, you know, what I've just kind of kept in a box and kept away in my brain, you know, I'm letting that out and I'm processing it and I'm learning and there's a lot of growth, you know, when you, yeah. when you do and it, and you might not, it might come out without warning, but 
you can either be a victim to that or you can just like own it like I said and you can process it and do something with it and come out a better person so yeah I have to imagine I know that whenever I'm having somebody else come on and we're having conversations that involve life experiences or just just personal accounts of what's happening in the world you know there is like lessons I guess you trade with each other in real time you know and so that's one of the things I wanted to ask you now is you know, through all these conversations that you've had with all of your different guests, like what is, I guess, a lesson that you've taken from this experience that's kind of been impactful for the rest of your life? Yeah. Um, I know all these things that like, I wasn't expecting, you know, I just thought, you know, we need a platform to talk about death because, I'm realizing, you know, this isn't unique to me. Everybody's going through this shit. Let's just like talk about it. But what I'm realizing is that I had so much anxiety just from, you know, like having control issues. Like I had crazy control issues with my son going to daycare or, you know, like I just thought, oh my God, if he's at daycare, he's going to die, you know, or like if, uh, you know, just like weird random shit that like you couldn't, yeah. look back and think, okay, that's because you're afraid he's going to die because maybe, you know, you have a little PTSD from your dad dying or something, you know, like yeah. something like that. But it's like, and what I said about how the media kind of feeds you how to, you know, how to feel about news and events and things happening in the world. Well, media also, and society also does something to death. And that is like, you know, it's sad. It's heartbreaking. It's scary. And death isn't always sad and heartbreaking and scary. You know, we have to learn how to live with it. We have to, you know, I, I love this quote off of the mayor of East town on HBO. It's an excellent show, but she says, you have to learn how to accept the unacceptable right? because it you you have to you it's not like you can accept that you know someone you love died but you have to learn to live with the unacceptable and it's like um no i'm like oh no i hear something um but there's all this stuff like that creates this scary culture around it and it's like it's not as scary as they're making it out to be like just because someone lost her husband or you know lost her child or something she's not just like this poor woman you know she's a lot more than than that and we can still connect with her and be with her in these spaces together we can still be friends with her and approach her at the grocery store you know like it doesn't become every part of who you are on the outside even though you know it it, it does become who you are, but it's like, right. it's not, I don't know. I feel like I'm like answering this in the weirdest way, but we don't have a relationship with death because we live in a society that silences it. And I had this like really great conversation with my sister-in-law who, um, she lost her mom to, um, she took care of her mom for a very long time and her mom died and she wound up having this like really beautiful burial and, you know, was with her when she died. And, um, and she said to me, she said, maybe if we lived in a culture where we welcomed death and we had to bury our young and we had to, you know, dig the grave of the person we're going to, you know, bury if we had more of a relationship with this, then maybe little boys wouldn't walk into schools and shoot up the place. There wouldn't be mass murders. Maybe people, you know, would wear their seatbelts because they would see how much it affects other people around them when they die. You know, like there's so much to that. And it's like, because we don't have a relationship with death, we just, we don't, you know, we do things that we probably wouldn't do regularly. I don't know, but it's always kind of stuck with me. Yeah. And it, it seems like a necessary conversation to be having yeah. a very necessary mm -hmm. one. I, I don't know exactly 
how we get from where we're at to there, but I know that it starts with having more conversations like this, normalizing this a little bit more, especially giving some grace to people who are going through the mental health issues and the trauma that kind of comes with these experiences in life. And I guess one, the last thing I want to ask you here is, you know, what is your overall hope for someone who comes to your podcast? Like, what, what do you hope they'll take away after they've listened to an episode or a few episodes? Yeah, I, I would just think like to not, not be afraid of it. And, and maybe, you know, maybe you could say, well, I'm not afraid of it or something. And it's like, you should ask yourself, have you talked to your best friend about their dead loved one? Have you ever had a conversation with them? Like your best friend? And I bet you a lot of people would say no, <laughs> you know, and like, and, or have you told your best friend, like the crazy shit that you've gone through? You know, it's just like a question to kind of put out there. And, you know, there is a lot, like you brought up mental health and all this stuff, but like, there's also just this deep shame spiral we can all go down when we feel these crazy feelings that we go through. Yeah. And it's nothing to be ashamed of, you know? And I think ultimately what I've learned from this podcast is like to not be afraid of it. And also, you know, if you're not okay with your life, if you're not in a good place in life or secure or owning your story, then you'll never be okay with your death. It'll be something you're so afraid of, you know, you won't be able to talk to your husband or, you know, whatever. It's like, you have to be okay with your life to be okay with your death. And I hope that like, if anyone can take something from that, it could change, you know, it could change a terminal cancer diagnosis. Like, now I understand if I am diagnosed with cancer to have these conversations with my kids and, you know, my stepgirls and my son and to have this conversation with my husband and to have these things in place because people have to go on after you're gone. <laughs> they have to figure out how to go and how to keep moving forward. And it's just, it's like, yeah, it's something that if I can get anyone to take that away, take away, take away from the podcast, that would be it. And I will just add one last thing here. Cause I, cause I'll mention that you and I did talk before this. I think you also, I thought this was just a beautiful thing to say that we should all have compassion for one another because we're all going through something. I thought that was really a really nice thing to point out. So I kind of want to just give you a little extra credit there for that. Sarah, thank you so much for coming on today and talking about all of this. Can you just let everyone know where they can find you on social media and where they can find your podcast at? Yeah, you can find me on Spotify, um, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, any, you know, any of the above. And I speak dead people. Um, and then also on Facebook and Instagram at I speak dead people podcast. And then check out my website, I speak and don't be afraid to reach out too. I love meeting new people. And if you have a story that you want to share, freaking, I love to hear about it. So, yeah. All right. So for those who are interested, go ahead and click in the episode description below. And there will be some links for Sarah down in the description. Thank you again for coming on. And everyone else will be right back after our final break with my final thoughts of the day. Stay tuned. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Welcome back from the break, everyone. Thank you for sticking with me through this episode of Independent Thought. So first, I want to thank my guest, Sarah, the host of the I Speak Dead People podcast. It was a pleasure to have you on. I want to just talk a little bit more about this subject before we transition. One of the things that I like to do with this podcast is to bring on a diversity of guests. You know, I, I strive to try to bring on people who will have different conversations, bring on different perspectives. You know, 
because I, I, I realize one of the things that matters to me when it comes to this podcast is that people are investing an hour of their week to listen to what is said on this podcast. And I appreciate that truly just like, I, I really do. Like it really, it means a lot to me that people would invest their most important commodity, which is time. And so in order to more or less provide what I feel as though is a, is a good, is a good place for people to be spending their time with me every week, it's important to me to bring on different types of conversations. And so the conversation that I just had with Sarah is something that I've never had on this podcast before. Not only that, I mean, it's just a conversation that people just don't really have in general talking about loss. And I have to say, I mean, I think going into the conversation, I was a little kind of trepidatious about it myself because it is such a taboo topic in our society, talking about death, talking about loss, talking about grief. But, you know, the more that I've given thought to it, the more that it, it really, it really shouldn't be that way. You know, we really should be able to have these conversations a little more plainly, a little more openly without so much stigma attached to it. Grief is something, I mean, loss, I, I think she kind of said it very well, but she said, like, if you haven't lost somebody yet, you, you will, uh, unfortunately, that is, that is a part of being human. And so I, I think we all should maybe have a little more of a healthy relationship with learning how to deal with the trauma that comes with losing someone who's important to you. So Sarah, thank you for coming on and having that conversation with me. I hope that everyone who listens to this episode gets as much out of that conversation as I did. And I, again, encourage everyone to go check out her podcast, the description, the link is in the description. So click on the description below and you will see some links. So please go check out her podcast. Now to finish out this episode, I just want to one more time say a little blurb about the workers here in our country. So there have been a lot of conversations in our society recently about workers and worker shortages and why aren't people at work or is it unemployment benefits or are they just lazy, so on and so forth. It, it gets, it's a tiring conversation because it always, it always puts, it, it feels like that conversation puts the blame on the workers for why they are not rushing back to some of these jobs. And it's never really well-paying jobs that people aren't rushing back to. It's always these lower tier jobs. And when I hear stories like I've heard with how Nabisco workers are being treated, how people are being treated at Amazon, how these coal miners are being treated, how these Frito-Lay workers are being treated, it's like, this. these are just four examples. I mean, if you really wanted to do a full case study, I mean, I'm sure you could find hundreds, if not thousands of companies around this country. I'm not saying all companies are bad, but there are so many of them that go out of their way to squeeze their employees for every ounce that they possibly can. It's just, it's remarkable to me that we don't have more attention on this, that it's become so normal that we are now so numb to it. And that is a true travesty because we should all just value ourselves more than that. We should value our fellow person more than that. Those should not be normal working conditions. And they should not be okay for companies to treat us like we're less than robots. It is absolute insanity to me. And so with all that being said, I truly meant what I was saying at the end of the segment there. Share this information, share this episode, share some articles, share what you have learned, put the spotlight on these companies. Don't let them get away with this and stop eating Oreos for a little while. They're not that good anyway. I'm, I'm sorry. They are that good. Stop eating them anyway. Now coming up next on the podcast, I will be having some more candidate episodes. So be on the lookout for that. If you are subscribed, you will not miss it. So make sure you are subscribed, hit the follow or subscribe button. It is right next to my logo on whatever platform you are listening to this on right now hit the button. There's even a bell I hear that you can click as well. There's a boomer coming out of me. So on top of that, there will also be more panel episodes that'll be coming in the future. So don't forget to check out that. If you liked the previous panels, please let me know. Please DM me. Let me know how the panelists you know, felt to you. 
if the episode was too long, if it was too short, let me know what you thought about it. I want to hear your thoughts. So please reach out to me and let me know how you felt about those panels. More panels are on the way, hopefully very soon. And last but not least, there was a continuation of my conversation with Sarah, which didn't all get to fit into the into the segment in this episode. So I turned it, the rest of it into a bonus episode. So once again, make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss any future content. Thank you for checking in with the podcast this week. We will see you next time. Go call someone. No, it's a terrible ending. Mm-hmm.